verses of chapter 17. The word of God where it says, when they, that is Paul and Silas, had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men have caused trouble all over the world, have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. So now now let's turn to the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. And we'll read the first chapter. Paul, Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Acacia. Your faith in God became known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Thanks, Rick.
In our growth groups, we've been talking about, uh, of late, how to love your church community and how to contribute to mutual edification, especially around the Sunday worship service, but also beyond that. Now, that topic is certainly worth our attention. Over the centuries that Christianity has been around, it is striking how quick the church, time and again, lost her perspective on what Christian faith is all about. In no time after a revival, people settled for just a religious lifestyle. They weekly went to church, listened to a message, sang a couple of songs, and quickly ran off home again to do their own things. Religious duty fulfilled, they thought. And most of them... I suppose continue doing their religious duties at home by a Bible reading and a prayer at a dinner table. And that was about it. That is the history of the church. And that explains much of the weakness of the church in in the past centuries. And if we do not learn from that and are well aware of that danger, we will fall into the same trap. Today I want to have a look at you, uh, with you how a church in the first century operated. It's the church in Thessalonica, and that's somewhere in the northern part of Greece. Now actually, I can't tell you a lot about how they practically lived out their faith. Because in, in every culture, the church has to find out for herself how to operate in the world that they live in. So I can't say a lot about how they did it and and what they exactly did. But what I do know is where the heart of the people was. Their hearts were beating for Jesus and the gospel. See, for these Greeks, the gospel had had an enormous impact in their heart. It had changed their whole outlook on life. It had transformed their life. What, what used to be important to them had lost most of its appeal. And at the same time, they experienced new affections. They were doing things they never dreamt of doing before, before they became Christians. That is what a true conversion does to you. It transforms your life. You, you focus so much on Jesus Christ that all other things of life become secondary. And I believe that the gospel will have the same life-changing impact on us. Indifferent people touched by Jesus become compassionate men and women. Selfish people suddenly become generous with their time and money. People who never liked reading and even found reading the Bible a chore begin to love the Word of God. And they want to talk about it, how it changes their life from day to day. So that is the picture that develops as we read through the first chapter of the letter to the Thessalonians. So together with his fellow missionaries, Silas and Timothy, Paul writes a letter to this church. 
Now, the first thing I'd like to ask your attention for is that he writes this letter to the church of the Thessalonians. Now, that may not sound anything special to you, but actually it is. And you can see that if you compare it with the way Paul normally addresses the churches that he writes to. You go back to all his letters. And then he writes to the church in Corinth. The churches in Galatia. The saints in Ephesus. The saints at Philippi. The church at Colossae. But here he writes not to the church at Thessalonica. He writes to the church of the Thessalonians. Do you hear the difference? What I hear in it, it is their church. They not only belong to it, they, they own it. And if you own something, you take responsibility for it. It's my church. It's our church. I'm not just attending a church or worshipping at a certain church. That, that is what someone with a visitor's mentality does. He goes somewhere where he likes it, a place that suits him or his family. And of course, that's how it usually starts. But it has to grow beyond that, that it becomes your church that you take responsibility for. Because if if that doesn't happen, there's something really amiss in your understanding, not only of what church is, but even of what the gospel is about. See, the Bible says we all need to be fitted in like living stones in the building of which Jesus Christ is the foundation. You may remember that. And once we are, we are fitted in, we are cemented into the wall, so to speak, to support each other. And we can't have it when just bricks walk out, are broken out of the wall, because it damages the wall. See, some people behave like loose bricks. They, they might see the church as a pile of bricks. Take a few bricks away from the pile and nothing changes. It's still a pile of bricks, who cares? But you can't do that with a building just Break a few bricks out without doing great damage. So here's the church of of the Thessalonians. It was their church. And they were hard at work, all of them, to fit every brick in. In that time, they might have not that that nice uh, rectangular, uh, nice bricks we have coming from a machine. You might have the the, the rough shapes and things like that. And, And that's what it did, even the odd shapes were fitted in. And Paul has noticed that. And he is grateful for it. So he addresses his thanks to God for the whole lot of them. I I thank God for all of you, he says. Now, you know, we might give thanks to God for a real nice brother or sister in church who who reached out to us. Or or we might give thanks for for a great sermon that, that the pastor has given. But we find it not so easy to give thanks 
for the oddballs amongst us. For people who are very different from us. We think we are already doing pretty well if we tolerate them. But do you realize that God sometimes sends people our way to test us whether we want to be a really comfortable church where we are all more or less the same and can easily relate to each other and have the same interests in life and things like that? Or whether we are prepared to make the extra effort to welcome the stranger whom we hardly understand or the homeless person we cannot relate to. Just think about it. Where you stand in all this, whom do you talk to at church? Just your friends that you feel comfortable with? Or do you make the effort to reach out to the person with whom you may feel out of your depth? You know, the Bible has to say something about that. In the letter of uh, James, actually. It's talking about favoritism. With God, no favoritism. That's why you were saved. So who are you to show favoritism to others? That's not Christ-like. It's just showing a lack of love. Let's move on. There's so much, so much more that this chapter has to show. And Paul expresses thanks and praise for what these Thessalonians do. They, they do not only rejoice in the newfound truth and now sit in, in, the, in the corner with their Bibles, leaving through it and say, wow, what a wonderful uh, things it all reveals. No, they use what they learn in the word of God and by understanding the gospel to do something. And that shows real understanding. So Paul talks about work produced by faith, labor inspired, prompted by love, endurance, inspired by hope. Faith, hope, and love. It's a well-known triad. It's the basis for the action. But to have faith, hope, and love translates into work, labor, endurance. Now you can sense it. It's tough on them. Their flesh tries to discourage them from doing all that work. Take it a bit easier. You're safe now anyway, you may think. Friends, that's not the Holy Spirit talking to you. It's the devil, the world, and your own flesh enticing you to take it easy in the Christian life. Mind you, I do not want to chase you up in activism, but when I read about work produced by faith, Labor prompted by love. Endurance inspired by hope. I see a congregation where everybody is keen to contribute somehow, some way. And now we come to the most powerful piece, verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. God has chosen you, says Paul. Friends, never think that it was your choice, just your choice to commit your life to Jesus or to pray a sinner's prayer because someone suggested that to you. God has chosen you. Count it a privilege because that's what it is. 
It wasn't you or your character or your good works or your good family line that made God to accept you as his child. It was his choice. Based on what? We don't know. But he was first to mention your name, to love you from eternity, to call you to himself at the moment he decided the time was ripe. We call that election. It's a wonderful truth. Don't think that you can understand how election works. For the moment you think you understand how it works, you've lost it, you've missed it. Don't think that you can deny it either. For the moment you do, you deprive God of his sovereign glory. So Paul says, for we know that God has chosen you. Now how did Paul and his companions know that? Did did God give them a special revelation about these people in Thessalonica? Something like, uh, take note Paul, these people are the ones I have chosen. Give attention to them. Not at all. Paul knew it because he could see it. A miracle had taken place under Paul's very eyes. These people were truly converted under Paul's preaching. They were born again. And that was the most amazing miracle that God does. And continues doing wherever the gospel is preached. I fear that often the expression born again is is used very loosely by people. If you've ever been part of an evangelical church, then you claim the title, well, I'm a born again Christian. It's one thing to say. But if your life doesn't show it, you're a living lie. You are deceiving yourself because you still love the world and what it has to offer. Or you might fulfill some religious duties. Anybody can do that. But your heart is not really in Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And if that's the case, you are no more than a hypocrite. What you need then is not just stick on yourself a label, born again Christian. What you truly need then is repentance. Confession of your sin. Faith in Jesus Christ as your saviour. Obedience to him as your Lord. I I say these things because in our time and culture, perhaps, a rather vague sort of Christianity is widespread. So fantastic to be a Christian. I move now in a circle of very nice people and my life has improved so much. I am part of this church. I'm truly blessed, I feel. Now watch out. It's not always that fantastic to be a Christian. It's tough. It can be lonely. You may lose more friends than you gain. Just think of your brothers and sisters in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians. Some of them were in the past Jews who used to go to synagogue. Others were Greeks having an interest in God. Others were just happily serving their idols. And one day here comes the Apostle Paul to their city. Uh, I think a rather unseemly appearance. He and Silas had just come from Philippi. They, they had been attacked there severely. For Paul had freed a girl from a demonic spirit. 
Let me just read it in Acts 16, what happened there. Acts 16, verse 22 it is. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell, where it's completely dark, and fastened their their fate in the stocks. Now fancy that. Their clothes ripped up from their bodies and given a severe beating. Followed up by a flogging with leather strips over their backs until all skin was gone. A broken nose, a black eye and scars all over their body. This is how this couple arrived in the next city, Thessalonica, on their mission journey. Can you imagine how how the people looked at them? Obviously they were were Jews. Now usually Greeks don't have much time for Jews anyway. What do these people have to say? Things like, the gods that you serve are all idols. So? You are totally misled by your Greek philosophers. You think so? We know the true God. Wow. And he came from heaven to become a man. What? His name is Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem. But since his own people didn't want him, he was crucified in Jerusalem. So crucified. And then he was raised from the dead. Now you can't mean that. And now he is king of the universe. And it's on behalf of him that we have come to you. And you better repent and receive him. Otherwise, you'll be in big trouble with the almighty God. Friends, to me this sounds like the most unlikely message in the worst circumstances. How can people possibly accept that to the point of even willing to die for it themselves? Because uh, if it, we didn't read it, but if we continue the story from, from Acts 17, what, what happened in, uh, in the next city after they had to flee, after three weeks they had to flee from Thessalonica, Paul and his, his companions. And then they arrived at Berea. Now in Berea, the people were really interested, at least the people of Berea. But then the Jews from Thessalonica heard that they continued their preaching. So they came all over and they started a riot again. And, 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 uh, and the whole congregation was more or less um, thrown apart because of this fanatical action of the Jews of Thessalonica. So, so fancy those Thessalonians living in a city like that. No less than a miracle was needed. To achieve what God achieved with the Thessalonians. See, God God created the world out of nothing. And we call that a huge miracle. And it is. God speaks and it's there. But to change people is the hardest thing someone can do. Now here God is changing people who have hearts full of rejection against the true God who claims their life. 
And if he does that, that's an even bigger miracle than the miracle of creation. It's similar like raising people from the dead. Well, that very miracle took place in Thessalonica. So Paul is saying, our gospel came to you not only with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Paul remembers it as the day of yesterday. His preaching in Thessalonica was somehow different from his preaching elsewhere. There was power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul recognized it, and it grabbed himself, and he felt he was powerfully used by the Spirit to bring the message across. He was utterly convinced that he was bringing the truth when speaking about Jesus Christ. And the audience felt the same. He is not just a man talking. What he says has a ring of truth about it. It it was impossible to listen to it to let go one ear in and the other one out again. Now, the word of God, spoken by Paul, penetrated into their hearts. And it's there where the Holy Spirit continued Paul's preaching. And the Holy Spirit spoke to them, listen to this. Do something with it. You are the sinner this preacher speaks about. You are the one who needs to repent before God and seek salvation. Friends, have you ever experienced that? Have you ever listened to a sermon where you hear the voice of the Spirit sounding in your heart? This is about you. You need to repent. You need to come to Jesus and surrender to him. Many of you may remember how the Spirit opened your heart. And suddenly you found yourself say, My Father in heaven. It's true. You're there. And you are here also for me. My Lord, thank you for saving me and for revealing yourself to me. That's the experience, isn't it? Your heart filled with thankfulness and peace and joy. And that is from the Holy Spirit. You saw the beauty of God and his word and you knew there is nothing in the whole world that's better than this. I don't want to lose this ever again. In verse 5, Paul reminds the Thessalonians how his own behavior also added to the credibility of the gospel. You know how we lived among you. For your sake. Paul not only explained the gospel, he not only invited them to believe the gospel, but he lived it for their very eyes. They could see how he had been beaten up the week before and risking the same thing happening again in Thessalonica, and yet he continued to preach the good news. See, it's clear how, how Paul's attitude added to the credibility of his message and they saw it and they took it over verse 6 you became imitators of us and of the Lord they first saw in Paul what the gospel of Jesus Christ does in someone and they started to imitate him 
to do the same. They became bold. They became joyful. They became servants of others, just like Paul. But over time, they realized that Paul, though a good example to copy, was not the original. The original is Jesus himself. So when Paul was gone, they became imitators of the Lord. Now, friends, if you want to be an imitator of Jesus, you better make sure that you know as much as possible about him. The way he talked, the way he related to people, the way he spoke about the kingdom of heaven, the way he was in constant submission to his father and made himself dependent on God's guidance, the willingness to take a cross upon himself. He showed his utmost love by suffering the pain of hell. How can you familiarize yourself with all this? Well, that's by reading your Bible, by reading the Gospels over and over again, by allowing it to become your own, and then by searching for him in the rest of your Bible. Live in the Word until you are soaked with Jesus. That will make you grow like nothing else. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. Don't think that it was all that easy for the Thessalonians. They suffered themselves for accepting the message. Paul could only be there for three weeks and then had to flee the city to save his life. And the Thessalonian believers were dragged before the officials, accused of all kinds of things. Just meditate on it for a while. How would you react if your family doesn't want to have a bar of you anymore because you believe in Jesus? Or that your boss tells you that you don't have to return as long as you join that band of Christians, of Jesus followers. Or you come home from a meeting with believers to find your windows smashed by unknown people. Or you would have to serve years in prison for mentioning the name of Jesus where people didn't welcome that mentioning of it. This kind of thing that happened in Thessalonica. It's the kind of thing that happens today in Muslim countries or in other places where governments feel threatened by the fact that some people think that their king is in heaven and not in that country, that they have a higher authority to listen to. Countries like Myanmar, countries like North Korea, etc., just, just picture yourself in such a situation. It's a humbling thing to do, I think. But let's move on to verse 7. The Thessalonians first followed the example of Paul, but then they realized that they should actually follow Jesus, and they do. And the next thing is that they, in turn, become examples for others. By accepting the gospel with joy... And the severe suffering, it's the combination of the two, yeah? Accepting the gospel with joy 
and the severe suffering. So on one hand, you suffer physically or socially or whatever, and yet and your heart is full of joy and you can continue. The combination of the two. By doing that, by showing that, they became a model for all of grace. When Paul entered the next city, Berea in this case, people were already talking about it. Well, this is the man who had such an amazing impact on a lot of Thessalonians. They completely changed their life. They, they love each other and their neighbors. They rejoice, even while suffering rejection and trouble in the city. It rang out over all of Greece. It echoed again and again. That, friends, is the impact a living congregation has. The power of the Spirit becomes obvious in changing people's lives. They all become servants of the living God and they are all filled with joy. Even in situations where their faith leads to severe suffering. See, that makes an impact. That makes people think, how can I do it? Where does it come from? We know the answer. It comes from knowing and loving Jesus. People gossip everywhere what happened in Thessalonica. Verse 9, they tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now bear with me. This is again an interesting way of putting it. We, we would expect something like they turned away from their idols and then they turned to God. That's the, that's your, that's the logical order. But that sounds a bit like uh, they were tired of their old idols and they, they realized they needed a change for something better and more satisfying. So, so they dropped their idols and they went for God. But that's not how Paul puts it. He said, they turned to God. Yes, and by doing that, they dropped their idols. That's because when they turned to God, they saw the beauty of the Lord. They loved what they saw, and because of that, their idols were reduced to what they were. Nothing, empty, useless. And again, friends, that is a mark of true conversion. Turning to God. And because of what you see in him, you realize the emptiness of your own idols. We were singing about that. Building our house on sand. See, their, their idols may have taken shape of statues or picture or whatever. Our idols look a bit different usually. But behind them is the same demonic power that keeps us from pursuing God and what he has to offer. Even if you have been converted, if you have been regenerated, it's so easy to turn halfway back and fall into idol worship again. See, whatever at any moment is more important to you than Jesus and his kingdom, that is your idol. If there's anything in your life, say, I really couldn't do without this, that's your idol. Career, your financial security, your health, your hobby, your family. Jesus, friends, is more. Only he can give you the satisfaction that you long for. Final comment. 
Another fruit of the conversion of the Thessalonians was that they started to wait for God's Son coming from heaven. People could see that. See, see, waiting for someone is an, an activity that can be rather strenuous. It is, it is actively looking forward to it. You know, when we are very keen for something to happen, we say, oh, I can't wait. It's always the benchmark of where you are at in life. I can't wait for Jesus to return. Do you long for the return of Jesus? Do you long for the day that your sin will not be part of you anymore? But that you are completely open to the Lord. Here I am. I love you. And I love to serve you. For eternity. Waiting for the one who died for us. And made us alive again. To share his divine eternal life with us. Oh friends. We started by pointing out how our Christianity so easily can be reduced to a life of fulfilling religious duties. Now, if you think after the sermon, yes, Fred's right, I should put in a bit more effort in my personal life, in my church life, to become a better Christian, if you think that, you've missed the point. It's not about a change of behavior to begin with. Let your heart be filled with the glory and the love of the Lord. And only God can do that, can change your heart that way. And then works of love and labor of love will follow. Then your service in the kingdom will become a ch- uh, not a chore any longer, but a joy. Then the gospel rings out from your life and from the life the whole congregation and it will find an echo at the most unexpected places praise the Lord he will do it first in you and then through you Amen let's pray Father in heaven We are truly humbled if we read what a transforming impact the gospel had on our brothers and sisters in Thessalonica. How they were filled with the joy of the Spirit in spite of suffering, severe suffering even. Lord, help us to think through where we are at in our life. Whether we are prepared to make sacrifices, if any, for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of your people, for the sake of unsaved people. Lord, help us to be filled with the Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit in such a way that the gospel rings out from our life, that people can see in us that we are as loving, as kind, as gentle, as long-suffering, as joyful, as patient, 
as Jesus Christ himself. Lord, grant your spirit to create those fruits in each of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.